Hey, so I said I would do kind of a supplemental, kind of a brief part two as to uh, um, the, the look at Ezekiel 38 and 39. We did an introduction to it a few episodes back. We did our quick look at the nations that are mentioned in Ezekiel 38 uh, that ultimately are involved in this battle and conflict against Israel in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Uh, this will be sort of a, 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 um, an appendix to that, sort of a, a follow-up and finish to that whole study before we move on to other things. I mentioned before that um, I believe that the rapture uh, and the events of Ezekiel 38 and 39 will have a very direct impact on the, um, on the arrival of Antichrist and the world's embracing of him. Now, there is, I think, uh, at the heart of that thought, that expectation that I have, uh, it's rooted in what I see going on from God's perspective and on God's behalf, God's actions in the battle of Ezekiel 38 and 39, and also, of course, in the Lord's coming for his church to snatch her away. In the rapture of the church, um, hopefully billions, at least millions or hundreds of millions of people will immediately disappear. Uh, we will just be gone, just foomp, out of here, gone in the twinkling of an eye, as Paul would say. And um, that's going to have an impact on the world. Now, <coughs> the world who is decidedly anti uh, Christ, anti-God, as we see in Psalm 2, the world will ultimately coalesce, uh, Psalm 2, Revelation 19, the world will ultimately coalesce against Christ at his coming. That takes a lot of panache. That takes a lot of bravado. Uh, well, how does the world get to a place where they actually believe that they could take on the Lord when he returns? Uh, remember, when Jesus comes in all of his glory, as he says, uh, he will come with power and great glory. Every eye will see him. From the east is from the east to the west as lightning strikes across, so it'll be in the coming of the Son of Man. It's not going to be like some military leader just rose up and got a group of people on the earth together, but God himself uh, comes from the heavens and, and gets ready to establish his kingdom, but the world believes they can stop him. How does that happen? Um, well, it would be enough to say that the world is arrogant enough to think they can just do that, but I think there's more to it than that. Now, again, I think there's a key to this uh, found in passages that we see in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Um, now, hopefully by now you've read those two chapters and, uh, and, are, um, and are aware of these passages, but there are a lot of places in Ezekiel 38 and 39 where God says exactly why he is intervening. And he says this to both his children in Israel, his chosen people, the apple of his eye. But he also says it to the other nations who are coming against her in that localized conflict in these chapters. And it, in, in various ways it is expressed, but it is always that they may know that I am the Lord. That they may know that I am the Lord. That you may know that I am the Lord. That you, O Gog, may know that I am the Lord. We see that expression happen numerous times throughout these two chapters. Uh, the uh, the description of the striking of these nations is that of hell uh, of hail uh, and hail fire and brimstone and that kind of thing, uh, hailstones coming down and that sort of thing. Um, a lot of times, people read this passage and assume that that is speaking of things like missiles coming from nations and that kind of thing. I'm not saying that couldn't be. I'm not ruling that out. But the more I read the passage, the, the less I think that's what's in view. Uh, I think that God is going to intervene very much like he did in Joshua chapter 10, when you've got the long day of Joshua, where you've got the invading armies 
Uh, Israel's coming against these armies. They're fighting, and, and hailstones are sent from heaven. Joshua prays that you know, God would give them more time to accomplish the victory in that. And so God not only sort of makes the sun stand still, at least from Joshua's perspective, and however he accomplished that, more time was given to them in the day. And then hailstones came down from heaven and struck only the enemy. Uh, so there's a precedent for this kind of thing we read about in Ezekiel 38 and 39, having happened by God's own hand. Certainly those nations understood that God was the Lord as that happened. Well, in the very same fashion, I think we'll see this happen in the last days as well, in this battle in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Again, I'm not ruling out the possibility of the military conflict being somewhat in view, but I do think that what's ultimately in view in those passages where it talks about God striking those nations that way, I'm kind of prepared to say that that's, that's literally how it's going to happen. Matter of fact, in the last days, when we read about uh, in the very last days, when these judgments come upon the earth in the book of Revelation, whether they be the trumpet judgments, whether they be the, the sixth seal, whether they becomes the, the vile judgments and that, these are direct attacks upon the earth and its population by God himself. And the people in those days recognize it. They curse God and such for, for him bringing this, these judgments down upon them. So I, I tend to hold the view that, um, that when Ezekiel is describing, as the Holy Spirit is inspiring him, as God is giving him this information, um, this may be really what happens. And so that being the case, if it is God himself who is striking these nations down, what better opportunity for a man to rise up who not only makes claims to greatness, but has miraculous power, uh, survives some kind of a, whether it's an assassination attempt or just some kind of a mortal wound that he survives, uh, which, which you know, uh, damages his use of his eye and his right arm in that. It's, it seems that he is uh, crippled by it, but he survives it and comes back. He makes lofty statements about how he is God and demands to be worshipped above all that is called God, Second Thessalonians 2, Revelation 13. Um such a man to rise up will not be one who just simply brings economic unity and not one that just sort of brings peace in some general sense. But my perspective on that is that this man will rise up not just to sort of unify the world in a general sense, but ultimately to unify the world in such a way as to stand against God when Christ returns. Uh, Again, think of the bravado that it takes to think that you could stop the God of creation uh, it's, it's significant, by the way, that the first angel with the everlasting gospel there in, in uh, Revelation 14 is calling on the people to believe in the God of creation. Uh, and, and he is calling upon people to repent and turn away from where they are and ultimately put their faith in the God of creation. Well, here, this other man who's standing up and claiming to be a God is apparently able to convince the world. He's empowered by the dragon we see in Revelation uh, he and the false prophet, they, they you know, have miraculous power. Uh, the false prophet can call down fire from heaven and this kind of thing. And so they're very convincing. Uh, and the world rallies around them, probably not just in some general way, but because they are rejecting God. And so they are standing behind their man, who they think is capable of standing up to this God. Because after all, um, he's making these claims and God hasn't struck him down. He survived the death attempt and he had a kind of resurrection in some sense. 
Uh, he has supernatural power from, from some divine source in, in the minds of the world. And so this is the guy who ultimately can separate us from this whole idea of this, this other God, or maybe even very specifically acknowledging the reality of God's existence, but wanting to be separate from him. And this is our opportunity to do it. So I think that um, because the world sees God intervene in Ezekiel 38 and 39, this is again why I think that this description is an accurate one. And they are recognizing that this is not just missiles and stuff. Something supernatural is happening. How do we stand against something like that? Well, the Antichrist comes on the scene, and ultimately when he does, in the beginning of the tribulation period, the beginning of the 70th week or the last seven-year period of human history before Christ's kingdom is set up, this man rises to power, and ultimately the world rallies behind him. So that is, that's just, again, sort of an appendix to what we've been talking about here with Ezekiel 38 and 39. I wanted to make sure to share that and to connect the dots between why these things are important, this battle of Ezekiel 38 and 39, clearly the rapture is important, to put these ideas and to sort of not just leave them isolated as events, but to draw them into how they connect with the rise of Antichrist and that 70th week of Daniel. Um, so we're going to talk more about those things in the days ahead as we continue to <coughs> share these prophecy updates uh, in this series on, uh, on the unfolding last things. But that's my little contribution to connecting the dots on how I think that's going to work. Again, this is just sort of my perspective on how I think these things will unfold. And of course, I always welcome your thoughts, comments, and questions. So you can do uh, you can leave those on the comment section below here on our YouTube channel. If you want to go to our uh, um, our website at church, it's calvarychapelfranklin.com. You can email me from there. And we also post these videos there as well, uh, as well as our Sunday mornings and our Wednesday nights as well. And then uh, you can go to my website, my personal website at parsonspad.com, where we post them there as well. So thanks for watching. And uh, until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace forever. And we'll see you next time.